You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Well, this morning we are hopping back into Paul's letter to the Romans. Um, If you've been with us uh, on this journey so far, um, you can generalize by saying that Paul um, opens this letter by explaining the depths of our need for justification. Um, Paul goes to great lengths to explain to us how deeply we are in need of help that we can't come up with on our own. And he moves from explaining the depths of our need to then explaining the way of justification God has provided through Christ. Well, this morning, um, Paul is going to now transition to describing the evidence or the fruit, if you will, of justification. If we rest in our position, when we rest in our position in Christ, that my life is now hidden with Christ in God, what evidence Um, can I see, can you see in my life that that has taken place, is taking place? Um, We're going to be in Romans chapter 5 this morning, so if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to turn there with me. Um, If you're using the Bible app, you can go to, down at the bottom it says more, and then it says events, and you will find the brook, and you can follow along with us there. Well, we will be in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Take a look with me at verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Maybe we don't do this enough. Um, I would encourage you to not just read, but to take to heart and memory Romans 5 verse 1. It's of enormous importance that we not just know, but that we reflect on and we constantly remind ourselves since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through what Christ has done for us. Paul opens this up by saying, because we have been justified by faith, because of this, there are some results. The first one is, we have peace with God. The second, we stand in God's grace. And then he says, we also rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I want to take a couple minutes this morning and walk through these individually because they all mean something um, very, very powerful and significant to us and for us. So first of all, peace. We've got peace. Um, What does peace mean? What does it look like? I really legitimately want you to take a moment and think about this. If someone came here from another country and you used that word and they said peace, I'm not sure what that means. How would you define it? How would you describe peace to somebody? We can always go to the dictionary, um, but I don't know that the dictionary is always right. 
Um, Let me tell you what the dictionary says. Peace is the freedom or the absence of disturbance or conflict. Um, It says on the more positive side that peace is a state of tranquility. That is, harmony in relationships. It's incredibly important how you and I look at and define peace because it's going to influence how you and I think about God. It's going to influence and impact how you and I think about and look at the world, our our worldview. We need to understand what do we mean, what does Paul mean, what does God mean more importantly, mean by this peace. A lot of people have tried to define and have thrown around the word and the idea of peace in the past. Um, I want to share a few of those with you this morning. Um, Here's one. Um, When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. That was the great philosopher, Jimi Hendrix. Desmond Tutu, the archbishop from Africa, said, If you want peace, you don't talk to your friends, you talk to your enemies. Here's another one for you. Peace begins with a smile. That was Mother Teresa. You thought I got that from chicken soup for the soul, didn't you? (laughs) When you make peace with yourself, you make peace with the world. Um, I don't even know how to pronounce the guy's name that said that, so I'm not going to try. If everyone demanded peace instead of another television set, then there'd be peace. I don't know what that means. That was John Lennon. This one will probably surprise you. I do not want the peace that passes understanding. I want the understanding which brings peace. That was Helen Keller. And then someone named A.J. Must said, There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. And I think that statement ought to just end with man. Peace is the way, man. Um, These are all really, really inspirational in some way. I mean, you and I could hear any of those quotes and maybe be motivated, inspired a little bit. Um, But the fact of the matter is, while they may be inspirational, they're all wrong. You're probably aware of this fact, but you can be motivated, fired up, and even inspired and be totally misguided and wrong. It, it can work that way. There are some people in the world who really want peace. I think that the people that we've heard from here in these quotes wanted peace. There are some people that want peace, um, but they've never possessed it, and they don't really know how to define it. There are other people who they've taken a real stab at trying to define it, but they've never actually possessed it. I think there are others of us, though, who know full well that we could never fully explain it, describe it, or define it, but we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have experienced it and we possess it 
because of Jesus. And that's the Apostle Paul. Paul's one of those people. The truth that Paul shares with us, which is not some pithy inspirational statement, this is the truth. Peace in God begins with peace with God. If you go back and you look at Romans 5.1, this is why it's important to memorize this and meditate on exactly what Paul says. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. What's Paul talking about here? Well, peace within you was actually made possible without you. The peace that you and I can have within ourselves, the ability to even possess that, we had nothing to do with it. It was all Jesus. Because see, God was at war with us and our sin. God is at absolute war with sin, and there was nothing that we could do. We didn't have enough white flags to raise to make things okay. Jesus stepped in and atoned for our sin. Jesus ended the war. Jesus is the one who made peace. So, and so the peace that we have with God, that peace that's been made with God in Jesus Christ allows you and I to have peace within us. We have peace. Peace for me, it, it's not the absence of conflict Because there's been a lot of times in my life where there's been lots of conflict and still somehow, supernaturally, only through Jesus, I've still had peace. So Paul says that part of how this happens for us is that you and I, we stand in the grace of God. We stand in God's grace. When we know this peace... We can stand in grace. We have confidence in Christ. Now, when we talk about grace, we often use this definition of God's unmerited favor. God's mercy is that I don't get what I deserve. Death. (laughs) Um, Wrath. Separation from him. Grace is that I get what I don't deserve. I can't earn or ever do enough to merit what God has done for me and he gives it anyways. Well, Paul here in in Romans 5, 1 and 2 is saying that we not only have God's unmerited favor and we not only have access to God when and if God chooses and it's the appropriate time and we're really, really desperate. What Paul is saying is that you and I now live in the presence of of the king. When we read the Psalms, they absolutely burst to life for you and I because we know Jesus. When we understand that we rest in the shelter of the Almighty, we understand this in a way that even David couldn't. We understand that now we can live in the shadow of the Almighty, that we can make the Most High our dwelling place. Because you and I, we don't just have access to God's grace, we literally stand in it. It consumes us. God's grace is constantly saying, this one belongs to me. 
And so we have this peace in God because of the peace that's been made with God. We stand in God's grace. Paul goes on to say, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of knowing that God is working in our lives for his glory. And so Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, peace with God through Jesus now provides and leads to joy and hope in Jesus. All these things are made possible because of Jesus Christ. We have access to all of that only because of Christ. Paul goes on. Look with me in verse 3. He says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into the hearts, our hearts, through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. If Paul says something colossally as amazing as Romans 5, 1 and 2, and then he says more than that, like I'm looking for something good. And to follow up more than that with We even rejoice in our sufferings. That's not what I was expecting. At least not in my flesh. But Paul says here, look, let me explain. The faith, the hope, the joy, um, they are so strong that we don't just rejoice when things are great. We don't just rejoice on the mountain. We don't just rejoice when life is trial free. We rejoice even in our sufferings. Friends, why and how on earth are we supposed to do that? Why and how on earth are we supposed to be able to rejoice in our sufferings? Thankfully, Paul tells us. He lays it out in, I'll tell you, step, step, step. Here's how it happens. He says, first of all, here's how and here's why we can rejoice in these things. We rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces endurance. When you and I walk through trial, when we walk through pain, we are strengthened. Um, Something happens and it makes our suffering not worthless. What could be worse than suffering and, and it having absolutely no point? But God says, not with my children. I will use their suffering to strengthen them. How does he do this? Well, Paul tells us. The endurance produces character. And there are some of you in this room, like myself, who we're already characters. We know. We don't maybe need any more of that. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Anytime Paul, moreover, the scriptures at all, talk about that character in the New Testament, we're talking about the refining of Christ's character in us. And so when the suffering leads to endurance and the endurance builds character, what it's doing is it's making you and I more Christ-like. 
God is refining us as we walk through that fire. And Paul says that that character, that Christ-likeness in us, produces hope. How does that work? Well, think about it. When I see God working in me, I'm reminded that he also works through me. When someone like myself, who on my own, I have about a sub-zero level of mercy and gentleness. There's just none there. But when I begin to see the Spirit of God producing that in my life, that's affirmation to me that I belong to God. Brian Mayfield can't come up with gentleness on his own. I promise. I spent like 35 years trying, none there. But the Spirit says, that's the fruit I bring. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. So when I see that gentleness working its way into my life, that's affirmation to me that God is moving in me. And that's God's way of saying, this is going to hurt a little, but you belong to me. This is the whole point of Romans chapter 8, the beginning of it. Hebrews chapter 12. Don't grow weary in the discipline. Why? Because the discipline is affirmation to you and I that we belong to God. And so that is how this Christ-like character in you and I produces hope. It's affirmation. And Paul says that that kind of hope, what does he say here? He says, that hope cannot be put to shame. Hope does not put us to shame. Here's why. Because of who our hope is in. Hope, I mean, let's just be clear. A lot of us over the last several days even have probably been hoping for things. They didn't happen. I think that even the Alabama fans in this room were probably hoping yesterday the Auburn Tigers were going to win. They should have won, but they didn't. Hope just went down the toilet. If that's what your hope is in. But Paul's not talking about things of this world. Paul is saying when our hope is in the one true infinite God that does not change, that does not shift, that does not leave us or forsake us, then our hope will not be put to shame. And so because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, we find this confidence and this comfort even in the midst of whatever it is that we may walk through. And friends, you are going to walk through stuff. We are going to walk through trial. We are going to walk through pain. We are going to walk through loss. We are going to face suffering. The question is, how? How are you going to walk through? through it. Who are you going to look to? Who are you going to lean on? Turn with me for just a moment to John 16. And again, so that we 
keep the context of when these things are being said. John 13 through 17, these are things Jesus is saying to and praying over his disciples the night before he's going to die. And in John 16, 33, Jesus says to them, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will suffer. You will face pain. You will walk through hurt. It's going to come. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Friends, we don't hope because of circumstances or situation. We hope in the midst of those things because Jesus has said, I've overcome all of them. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I've sent my spirit to not only dwell among you, but within you. When Jesus said this, this was right after he said, I've got to go back to the Father so that I can send the Comforter. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Well, so now Paul here in Romans 5 wants us to further understand the great links that God went to in order for Jesus to overcome the world, in order for Jesus to be able to say these things to us, for Paul to be able to write these things. Look at verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person. Maybe, perhaps, for a good person, someone might dare even to die. But here's the truth. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We could argue and debate for quite a long time about how good someone has to be for another person to determine to die for them. Um, I don't really know that any of us ever sit and like do an evaluation on how good somebody has to be for us to impulsively think, yeah, I'd take a bullet for them. But that's not really what Paul's getting at here. Um, Paul is explaining there are two major issues at play. First of all, there is the willingness of the Savior to actually stand in our place. But then the other issue that's going on here is the complete inability of those who are being saved and are saved to accomplish this for themselves or for one another. So both of these things together, we understand it's not like um, any of us could ever possibly come up with enough to make it work. The greater that the requirement, then the less those are going to be who can live up to the requirement. But so then when we understand that the requirement is actually perfection, uh, we're all out. This is why just two chapters ago, Paul quoted all those Old Testament uh, 
scriptures and reminded us there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who seeks good. And see, this is what makes it all the more astounding. This is what magnifies the love of God so much further that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you and I were dead in our sin, God moved on our behalf to bring us back to life. Some of you in this room are old enough to remember the George Thorogood song, Bad to the Bone. Some of you are young enough that you're going, I don't know who that is and I don't care. But here's the deal. George is not any badder than us. Not one of us in this room entered this world with just the potential for being bad. We were the baddest, the worst. Our hearts were fully set against God. And so God sent his one and only righteous, sinless son to die for the unrighteous. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ pursued us. Christ redeemed us. When you were still dead in your sin, God gave you the faith to receive this gift of grace. While we were dead in our sin, Christ died for us. I don't know that we can ever fully grasp the magnitude of the love of God. Verse 9. Since therefore... We have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Paul repeats himself from the beginning. Since we have now been justified. Here he says, since we have been justified by his blood. And I don't know if you've noticed in Romans 5, 1 through 11, Paul uses the words more than that or much more. He just keeps rolling. More than that, much more than that, He's trying to tell us the instant that you think we've been able to grasp it all of what God has done, hang on, there's more. Paul says here, much more shall we, if we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, then again, much more Now that we're already children of God, will we be saved by his life? So Paul is saying, look, man, if you were dead in your sin and God gave his son to raise you to new life and reconcile you back to me, do you not think I'm going to now do what it takes to make you more like him? And to see you through to the end? 
What Paul is saying here is if God went to such great lengths to justify us through the death of his son, he'll go just as far to sanctify us through the life of Jesus. That is how much he not just cares about our eternal life later, but our abundant life now. That that we not at some point way in the future when Christ returns and everything is made new, that we're then just glorified, but that right now you and I are in this process of being made more like Jesus. Why? Well, first of all, for his glory, but going back to what we talked about a minute ago, it's for our hope. Because today and tomorrow and the next day, when we walk through, yes, the joy of what God is doing, but sometimes even the pain and the trial and the agony, and we see God working in us, it is affirmation to us of God saying, you belong to me. You're mine. Our sanctification through the Spirit continually shows us the evidence of our justification in the Son. Are you with me? The sanctification that you and I experience through the Spirit of God is constantly showing us the evidence of the justification that we have through the Son of God. And because he doesn't want us to get distracted one last time, Paul says, more than that, verse 11, more than that, hang on, there is still more. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Paul says, friends, we rejoice because the one true, infinite, holy, perfect, righteous God who will not be associated with sin. Now not only associates with you and with me, but has adopted us as his own. Why and how did he do this? Jesus. God will not tolerate, God will not associate with sin. And now he not only associates with us, he says, you are my own. Because as we're going to see in several, several weeks from now in Romans chapter 8, The Son of God is right this moment at the right hand of the Father advocating and interceding for you and for me. Through the atoning work of Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled back to the Father. So friends, the fruit, the evidence of justification is that you and I now have peace with God. Peace has been made with God because of Jesus. And the hope that we have in knowing that opens the floodgate for peace within us. Not just the absence of conflict, not some state of tranquility, 
but this unshakable thing that says, my God is with me no matter what I walk through. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. In Christ, we have this everlasting hope. And Paul says that that hope is not put to shame. We have an unshakable joy that, yes, it's undefeatable, obviously, when things are great. But Paul says that it's so vast and it's so unshakable that we even rejoice in our sufferings. So, because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Friends, I encourage you this morning to stand in that grace and to rejoice in that hope. And let's be the light in the darkness. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, would you please remind us that there is nothing we can do to make you love us any more than you already do. That there is nothing we have ever done, something that maybe is long and buried or we think that it's long been forgotten, that is somehow going to surface later in life, um, God, some new piece of evidence against us is going to be unveiled and you're going to love us less. It's not going to happen. Lord, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son while we were still sinners. Lord Jesus, we thank you that no one took your life from you, that you willingly laid it down so that we might have life. Father, this morning all through this room, it's very likely that many of us are sitting here this morning And regardless of what we know, there is there's something going on in the world around us that is going to war with our peace. It's declared war um, against our joy. Maybe it has even shaken our hope. But Lord, we pray this morning that you would remind us that we now live in the presence of the Almighty. That we can find rest in the shelter of the Most High God. That we can say 
just like King David in, in the midst of, of running, in the midst of agony, in the midst of betrayal, I have made the most high my dwelling place. Lord Jesus, it's all because of you. Lord Jesus, it is your death, your resurrection, your spirit, your presence, even just your name. You have brought us peace. Lord, may we be a people that that peace and that unshakable joy that everlasting hope just pour out of. Lord, we thank you that you are always working for our good and for your glory. In just a moment as we sing together, I want to encourage you, if you need to come to this the foot of the cross or the steps and make that an altar. Um, we invite you to come. Lord Jesus, in these moments, we exalt you, we praise you, we worship you. We love you. Be glorified. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.